Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Jeff J. Hunter, founder of Savage Marketing Academy. Jeff, welcome. Great to be here. Excellent. Could you give the audience a 90-second rundown on your background and how you got to be the Savage Marketeer? Wow, 90 seconds. Okay, ready? (laughs) So I've always been in IT my whole life kind of went up the corporate ladder, started as a computer guy, became the IT director for a school district, got recruited as a project manager, an IT project manager for a Fortune 500 company, got really good at building virtual teams. And then I left that. I actually got in trouble. We can talk about that later. I got in trouble at work, decided to leave. And um, I started my own company. And now I have about 70 people all over the world that work for me. And now I do everything from marketing to branding, and mainly I work with founders and CEOs and uh, usually of tech startups and some personal brands to help them become more uh, influencers, recognized experts in their fields. Excellent. Okay. Well, in that case, this is very pertinent. What I'm conscious of in the current economy is that many people who have relied on traditional routes to market, networking, referrals, telephone, are probably struggling if they haven't got a good grasp of how to sell socially. And I'm curious, why is it so important that salespeople develop their own personal brand? That's something that's really interesting because a lot of people say, well, I don't need a brand, especially salespeople. But in reality, everything that we do is building our brand or destroying our brand, (laughs) right? So... (laughs) Every time you follow up with someone, when you say you're going to follow up, when you show up early to that meeting, you know, or if you show up late to that meeting, either of them is, is giving, it's a transaction, right? So I think branding is actually intentional transactions, right? Everything, whether it's giving intention to somebody, whether it's affection to somebody, a loved one, right? Even to your kids, right? The relationships that we have in life, it's all our, a part of our brand. So either you can let your actions speak for you, which is a part of your brand. You know, a lot of people think that their brand is a a cover photo, a logo. That's what I was going to (laughs) say, a logo and a cover photo. But really, your brand is just everything you do. So, you know, what I do is I say, look, why don't we just make it more intentional? And I really break it down into four pieces of, of what your branding is. I call it the core, and it stands for four things. It's an acronym. The first one is how do you develop a connection, a connection to your audience, to your potential clients, right? The second one is, where am I going to be? Omnipresence, omnipresence. In other words, where is my audience at? Because if it's on LinkedIn or whether it's on Facebook or whether it's in person somewhere, which with COVID-19, there's not a lot of in-person right now, at least. The economy is going to wake back up and the, the giant will be coming out of slumber. But thinking about how you show up, that's even like what graphically, like how do you show up? I'm showing up today. Those of you listening in, you can't see, but I'm wearing my Savage Marketer shirt. I got my Savage Marketer hat. I always try to show up on brand so that I'm intentionally making an impression with someone so they remember me. The third part, right? Because we got connection, we got omnipresence. The third part is relevance. Why should someone listen to you? Are you relevant to them? Because a lot of times, you know, especially in sales, people say something like this, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, Marcus, which is, man, if, if only people could understand, if I could only make people understand the value of what I'm offering, man, it would be a no-brainer. 
we're great when we're in front of people. If only we could get in front of more of them. And then we're, when they're in front of them, they can't even close their own fly. <laughs> I take your point. So relevance, yep. Are you, how can you be relevant to someone? And that's, that's really developing out yourself as an expert in the areas of problems that people have, right? You want to position yourself as the solution to the problem. And not enough people are actually giving enough value and positioning themselves as the solution in their industry. The last part is probably not only is it super duper important, but it's evidence that the other three are working, which is engagement. Engagement is so important. Is everyone just a lead to you? Is everyone just somebody that you can pick out when you're ready to get a paycheck? Or are you actually actively developing and engaging with people common and actually consistently to draw people in, right? Are you responding to their comments? Are you inviting people into your stuff? Are people liking and commenting on your posts? And if they're not, that usually is a misalignment between those other things. You don't have the right presence, right? Omnipresence. You don't have the right connection with people and you don't have the right relevance. If you don't have those three, you don't get engagement. I'd like to pick up on a couple of the points there. In terms of engagement, again, so many people are seeking the vanity metrics of like comments and shares. Now, that's great for raising awareness and for familiarity and building your personal brand. But the one thing I like to measure is subsurface engagement. It's where the content generates some form of contact spontaneously where they say, you know, Jeff, it was like you're a fly on the wall. I was having that conversation only yesterday with my team. And that's really key. The other thing that you mentioned earlier was attention. My friend Ron Vopereis came up with this lovely concept, which is attention is a currency. You pay attention. And the problem is that very few people pay good attention. In the days when we were allowed out and we weren't suffering from cabin fever, you'd go to a networking event, they're peering over your shoulder to see if someone more interesting was there. And the attention that you pay to listening to what's actually being said, rather than listening with happy ears, is very important. And making assumptions and mind reading is really key. Our job as sellers and marketeers is to learn how to enter the world, the conversation that our prospects are already having. So when it comes to creating that connection, how do you go about advising your clients to actually understand who their prospect is and just as important, who their prospect is not? You know, this is really funny, but one of the very first exercises that I do with my own clients is if you want to position yourself as, so I call it the hero. I always try to position my clients as the hero. And to have a hero, you have to have a villain, okay? If you're going to be the guy who solves things, if you're going to be that woman who's really the, the solution in the industry, you've also got to call out the problems that exist. So I have a client that I, I actually just sent a proposal like moments before this call to someone who I'm very excited to work with. He's a, the CEO of a venture. Let me take that back. It's an investment firm. And his villain are venture capital firms. There are VCs, there's these other types of private equities and things like that, that are really kind of actually screwing these investments up because they I mean, take, you know, they're really cutthroat, right? Like they, they're always about getting their money first. You know, they, they're really stringent on the control and what happens to the money and how it's spent. So he's showing that, look, there's different ways to raise investors that you can still retain control. It's a better way. You get better returns. So we're actually establishing 
a strategy right now that half of his content is going to be positioning and here's what I can do and here's how I can help. And even I call it the 90-10 rule. We actually don't like pitch a lot. A lot of it is just building that connection, right? Like having good conversations and showing people deals that you're working on, like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? That he calls it document, don't create, where you're just showing them the things you do. And people are like, wow, that's something that I'd really like to do. People are so tone deaf now. Like, yes, we're at the best. 15 minutes or less and save you 30% on your car insurance or whatever, right? And people are so tired of that. Back to your, your answer is, I always say, when it comes to who your audience is, what are the pains they're going through? What are the struggles, right? What is it that they really actually want? What is their desire? And three, who's holding them back from that? What are the other alternatives that they might be doing that could send them on the wrong path? That's the first four things I always look at. Very interesting. Do you mind if I challenge you? Challenge me. What I always teach my clients is that it's not our job to be the hero to our customers. Our job is to be the guide, make them the hero, and make them wildly successful. Now, it may be just a matter of semantics, but the minute you start making yourself the issue, then you move into selfish selling, which is why one of the things that I teach my clients to do is understand what mission and purpose are when we are meeting a prospect. And mission is what the customer wants and needs. Purpose is how they want us to help them fix it. It has nothing to do with us. When we're selling, we don't talk about ourselves, our company, our products, our services, because that's a bit like showing photos of your ugly children to strangers (laughs) and wondering why they're not interested. Any thoughts on that? It's definitely semantics. One of the things that's really important is that when people are looking for answers, they're looking for someone who's already done it themselves. So in my perspective, when you position yourself as the expert in your field, you actually have to leverage your brand to say, here's things that I've done. And here's here's something, here's the reason why a lot of people don't have success in this, by the way, Marcus, is because they're not able to get results for themselves. Or even worse, they get results, but they're not good at showcasing those results. That's why, you know, we could have a whole nother call about this, man. But this is why I think a lot of salespeople should learn a little bit more about marketing and also why marketers should also learn a little bit more about sales. I've had interesting dichotomy, a blend of that coming from my background, thank God, because I will tell you the first thing that I've realized when I work with salespeople, because as a marketer, I obviously work with a lot of salespeople. But it's, it's interesting how there's always been like this weird fine line between marketing and sales. Marketing is always about results. It's just always about results. It's it's about, right? But sales is truly about getting your client results, right? It's about being the solution to what they're trying to accomplish. So I guess going back to what you said, yes, it is definitely always smart to put it back as the, the client being the hero. And that's exactly it. It's about them becoming the hero. But at the end of the day, they still have to trust in you. And that's where that personal brand comes back in for, especially for a salesperson, is that they have to actually trust that you're the person that can make them accomplish those goals. So again, I think we're almost in violent agreement here. Um, (laughs) I take what you said a little bit further. Sales is a subset of marketing. Anything that touches the customer in any way, shape, or form is marketing. Sales is where the rubber hits the road. 
and you go to the bank. But ultimately, the reason people buy is they have a problem that needs to be fixed. And they're looking to the salesperson to be the safe pair of hands, to lead them through that dark place and help them come out the other end in order to deliver a better future. Now, pain, I absolutely believe, is more powerful than fear. And in turn, fear is more powerful than gain. However, people buy for their reasons. And I think one of the things that both sales and marketing really need to do is listen to what the customers are telling us and also listen between the lines for what's not being said, what might be being implied. Because often prospects, first of all, don't know what the real problem was. If they did, they would have fixed it already and they wouldn't need our help. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they are often their ego is fragile because they feel threatened, they feel stupid, and they're afraid of admitting that they have a problem. So I think one of the other things that great personal branding does is it allows people to see you as somebody who will talk straight, who will challenge them and not do so in a judgmental way, but will help them get through this difficult period in order to get through the change. And that's all anyone sells is change and get to that better future. So my question is this, people must come to you and ask you very frequent questions around building a brand and building their funnel. What are the four most common questions you get asked? Man, most people don't even know where to start. So that's usually question number one is, you know, where do I even start? (laughs) And first off, when I tell you, I want to tell you, you're like a poet, man. I won't lie to you. I've been on a lot of podcast interviews. Just listening back to you, I I could listen to your voice for hours. That was a really great point that you said about listening. I think that if we just spent a little bit more time actively listening and actually genuinely caring for other people, not just our prospects, but just other people in general, it's going to help. And number two, your point earlier about having your personal brand developed online, it actually helps people feel like like you understand them. Because a lot of salespeople, if only, if only I could make them understand, no, people feel more comfortable with you and they'll make the sale. You'll make the sale if they feel like you understand them, right? So the question is, you know, where do I even start? Because a lot of them are like, well, do I need to create a bunch of content? Do I need to refine an offer? Actually, the very first thing that I always go with is what, what in the hell is the end result? I start at the goal. I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what's the end goal, right? So how often do they not know what that is? That is an issue. And I said, well, how can you convince one of your clients or potential customers to to buy something when you don't even know what you're trying to, you know, what your goal is, right? And your goal can't just be to make more money. It's so interesting when I talk to business owners and I say, well, like, what's your goal for 2020? And they're like a million dollars. And I'm like, you're not going to make it then. If that's your goal, you're not going to make it, right? Selfish. Again, yeah. the thing that I see all the time, Jeff, is selfish marketing and selfish selling. In tech in particular, for some reason, they think that putting together product data sheets is going to spark people to hand over their credit card. I mean, when was the last time you bought off a leaflet or a brochure? It just doesn't happen. Well, guess what? 
you guys can't see this on the podcast, but my son just brought me a green tea frappuccino from Starbucks. <laughs> Life has just gotten better, my friend. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm not entirely sure the UK audience would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, people not even knowing where to start, but when it comes to when it comes to the most frequent questions, they think that they need to hire some graphic designer or somebody or a copywriter and this and that. And, and yes, that is for people that don't have time. That's great. Because you know that we all know the trade-off, right? Seems like the more time you've got, usually the less money you have. Yeah. <laughs> the more money you've got, the less time you've got. So there's usually this kind of X, right? This, this intersection of like, how much should I do myself? But at the end of the day, the question is always, who do you want to reach? Where are they? And what are the most effective ways to get in front of them? Just like what you said earlier in the beginning of this interview is salespeople are always like, well, if I can only get in front of more people, yet they're not putting the effort in to get in front of more people. They right? hate prospecting. Yeah. Prospecting's and horrible. Again, what they tend to do is default to shitty email campaigns and family email messages, which again is crazy. The, the price of free marketing, Dan Kennedy said this, the price of free marketing is all the people who will never do business with you. For God's sake, stop doing crappy marketing. Stop doing selfish, interruptive marketing that makes people think, I'm never going to do business with you. And a first message is not, can I have your credit card? I had someone from China last year, and bear in mind, I run a sales training and consultancy business, and they offered me a radiography machine. <laughs> that, that was really well targeted. And people, now that I've got my podcasts, I keep getting inundated with people telling me that they can get me massive scale for my podcast. But I've got a really tight niche, and they're the only people who I want listening to my podcast, because yeah. everyone else, they'll listen to it for about three minutes, and then they'll cut off. That's no use to me. I'm not paying for that. Crazy. Okay. I'm going to reveal something to you. And this is going to come as a shock to some of your audience. It probably won't come as a shock to you because you know I'm a marketer and you see what I'm doing. But you are the very first person in a, an experiment that I'm doing right now on LinkedIn. So I run a really crazy group. This is this, what the savage marketers are. And we're always trying to find new ways to do marketing, kind of out of the box, savage, right? <laughs> and I have a 70 plus person team. And I also have a bunch of virtual assistants uh, in the Philippines. And I started this idea. I said, you know, I love sales podcasts. This is my, one of my favorite things. I've, actually, the, the podcasts that have, I've done the best on in my life that have turned into referrals that have turned into some of the best content that I have online that people still share today has all been from sales podcasts. And the reason why is I just think that salespeople in general, they're more fun. I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, they're just, they're, sales is, is a really fun, they're just a fun group, you know? And you were actually one of the first five or six people that I, just, I was training my assistant. Her name's Nicole to log into my LinkedIn account, okay, can I, I'm going to go there, log into mm -hmm. my LinkedIn account and just look for people that have really awesome followings. You know what was really crazy, Marcus? You stuck out so much because, really? yeah, because a lot of the people that have podcasts, it's like they're, 
every time they release an episode, it's like they're pulling teeth, their own teeth to put the episode out. Like you can tell they're doing it to do it. You know, like it's, it's not passion. There's no love for what they do. And that much fun. How could you not enjoy doing it? I don't know. I'm just like, dude, for me, I, I have my own podcast. I can't wait to have you on mine. And here's the thing. Like, I, I love it. Like it's my, it's one of my most fun things that I do for marketing period. But when I was looking at your post, I was actually using you as an example in the process. And I said, Hey, look, Nicole, if you see someone like this, like Marcus, who's got like 50 people plus engaging on his post, if you see him posting a weekly update on LinkedIn with the podcast episode, and you see like people commenting and stuff like that, I'm like, this is the type of person that I want to be on their podcast. Cause this is someone who not only loves what they do, but that has an already strong following that could help leverage me and my audience, right? The selfish moment for me is, hey, I can actually leverage him. And by the way, I know that he would be interested in attaching himself to my audience as well. So I'm going to leverage my podcast to get on your podcast and actually have a valuable discussion around stuff that people can get at. Interestingly enough, it works both ways because I was auditioning you to get on your podcast. Exactly. And see, this is the unhidden truth. This is the unhidden truth. I say unhidden because it's not rocket science. It's something that's been around forever, right? Yeah, it's mutual, exactly. But yet people either don't know how to do it, they just don't know how to get started, or B, they just, I don't have the time. I don't have the time commitment to do a podcast. So then I'm assuming that your calendar is filled up and you're booked for sales calls, right? (laughs) As if. So that's the thing. So right now I've been leveraging my virtual assistant, Nicole, and basically two, three hours a day, she logs into my LinkedIn account and she's finding some strategic podcasts for me to be on. And ironically, you, you were one of the very first ones that we reached out to as part of my training that I did with her. I swear I could show you an hour and a half training video. And I'm going to fast forward. I'll send it to you later of where I was going over and saying, this is why I want to be on Marcus's podcast. I think you'd get a kick out of it, by the way. Thank you. So guys, the point is, is what I'm trying to say here is that there's tons of opportunities if you know where to look for and if you're willing to take action. And by the way, not be a douche, all right? Because I don't know about you, but I've got a podcast. Obviously, you have a podcast, but I get messages all the time from people that are like big names, but they send me the worst pitches ever. Like, yeah, I've been the cover of whatever and whatever, and I've been featured on all these magazines. And man, I'd be a great person for you to have on your podcast and doesn't even say like, cause you'll notice that when I responded back to you, by the way, that was my own personal response to you. Cause my VA, she goes in and she basically goes fishing. And then once I got a hook, I take over and that's responsible. Right. And it's genuine, authentic. Yeah. So, and I came back to you and I gave three things, right. I said, look, there were, we can talk about building your brand. We can talk about the remote economy. We can talk about how to adapt and evolve in this economy. And you were like, okay. And you, we had a call scheduled, right? So tell me this then. What are the three questions that people don't ask but should? What should people think about me? That's a really important one. Not enough people think about how they want to be perceived because perception is reality for most people. So how do you show up, right? Secondly, where should I post my stuff? Where should I be reaching out? Where should I be building relationships? Because for me, I, funny enough, I've found that one of the best places for me ever is 
my Facebook group. I have a Facebook group, Savage Marketers, that it's the most beautiful thing in the world because these are people, the only, I don't ask people to join my Facebook group. I don't invite them to my group like manually. If I'm on a podcast or whatever, or if I'm doing something, I'll say, hey, yeah, I'm going to interview Marcus inside my inside my Savage Marketer Facebook group. And we're going to talk about sales. We're going to talk about this and that. If you want to join in, here's the link, right? And what's beautiful is it cultivates a community. It's my own ecosystem. I'm the boss. No one else, right? They're there because yeah. they want to see something I'm doing. So that's the third piece. The third piece is, where's my tribe, right? Like, where should your people be at? Where can you start cultivating? Because I think we all live in a day and age where we can probably realistically say that our open rates are less than 30% on email. That means that 70% of the people just don't even look at what you're doing anymore. So Facebook is promoting their number one product. You know what Facebook's number one product is right now? That they're doing Super Bowl commercials on? Facebook groups. Right. Facebook groups. So why not use a tool that Facebook's already promoting for you to grow and foster your community. Well, it's really interesting. I interviewed a fascinating friend of mine, Martin Lucas, and he's a mathematical psychologist. And there is a click-through rate on Facebook of 1.93%, I think, which means $56 billion a year of advertising on Facebook is never even Even clicked. dollars a year. And actually, and that's on paid, right? Because they're right. saying that the average on Facebook right now is about a less than a 3% engagement rate in total. So that means 97% of eyeballs that see something are never engaging or clicking on anything, right? This is, again, a really interesting observation because my background is, uh, I've written a book called Making Channel Sales Work. And I started noticing a trend and it was that 2 to 4% of the partners that people have produce roughly 40 to 60% of the revenue. And I discovered this thing called Price's Law, thanks to a friend of mine, Tony Groom, introducing me to it. And Price's Law states that 50% of your revenue will come from the square root of the number of people in your organization. So if you have 10, three people will produce 50%. If you have 100, 10 will produce 50%. If you have 10,000, 100 will produce 50%. Because talent grows in a linear fashion and incompetence, whining, moaning, bitching, blaming, and complaining grows exponentially. <laughs> now, why not focus your attention on the 100 and stop wasting your time on the 9,900 who will produce 50% between them and focus on recruiting people like the 100? Focus on making those people wildly successful. And I think we have to learn that not all good uh, copy is good, not all advertising is good, and we have to approach this with a dispassionate and scientific approach. And we need to, we need to be ready to kill our babies. We need to be ready to sacrifice the thing that we think is genius but doesn't work. And you know, what, what I'm fascinated by is why so many people insist on producing the same shitty piece of marketing, they beat their head against the wall and then they blame the wall for their headache. Why are we so stupid as a species? I wish I had the answers to that question. One thing's for sure, I've kind of dodged the proverbial bullet on this one 
I've been very blessed. And um, over the years, I've hired hundreds of people to work for me over the years. And I have 70 now on my team. And it's taken hundreds of people to get to the 70. And it's interesting because it's exactly what you said, right? I mean, it's taken me hundreds of people to get to the 70 I've got. It's just that I don't tolerate I don't tolerate that other crap. So I've been holding on to that 10% of people on my team, right? That's really been producing 50% or more. Actually, I mean, 100%. One of the things that, if this is okay to transition, you let me know, but is I think that right now with everything that's happening with the COVID situation, I think it's really fast forwarded the evolution of all industries into being more remote about 10 years. Absolutely. Um, well, Jay, so, I interviewed him. He's the lead analyst for Forrester. And that was uh, his research said that we've moved forward 10 years. So you're spot wow. on. So I'm not going to lie. I stole it from you earlier. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, got, I had an insight there. But um, <clears throat> the win. And you got, you got, you got the ball. I was going to say, wow, that's a really good guess, Jeff. <laughs> All right. So check this out. Hero, yeah, I'm the hero now. There it is, living my own dream. But one of the things that's been interesting is that I've been remote before remote was cool. And you know, I built my team back in 2013. I hired out, ironically, I went, I built out an office in the Philippines, downtown in Makati City. Makati City is like the Silicon Valley of the Philippines, you know, like all the big telecom centers are there. All the outsourced call centers, BPOs are all there, business process outsourcing. And I thought I was still in the corporate world. I had my corporate job when I got that office in December 2014. I wasn't thinking ahead. I wasn't thinking future. I was thinking, I'm going to do this like all these other companies are doing to compete. And what's interesting enough, it actually took my own team in January of 2019 coming back to me and saying, they call me sir. They say, Sir Jeff, they say, you know, I noticed that you've been hiring a lot of people working remotely. And I had 20 people working in an office and about 30, 40 other people working from home. And they said, is there a reason why we're working in the office still? Can't we work from home? And I was like, huh. And I actually had a vote that next Monday because that was on a Friday. And that next Monday, I held a team meeting, emergency meeting. And I said, hey, guys, let's have a vote. Who wants to work from home and who wants to work in the office? 100% unanimous, everybody want to work from home, right? Mm -hmm. So I even said, listen, I will let you guys take all your computers and peripherals home with you. A gift from the company, basically, laptops, because I had everything in my office was laptops, so they could move anyway, and let them work from home. And, you know, it's so funny because that was probably one of the most important decisions for my company that I'd never made. My team did, right? And now I'm looking back thinking, oh my God, if I wouldn't have taken their advice, I would have literally had multiple, I couldn't have been able to function because 20 people, none of them lived in that city. I think maybe three or four of them lived in that city. The rest of them had had to ride hours to get to the office. If you know anything about the Philippines, it's a disaster to, to, to travel there. And now when this all happened, it was like heaven sent because don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize the situation, but it was heaven sent for my business because I, I haven't even been able to keep up. I have been so busy because my team has not interrupted at all. I was the same. Uh, when I found out 
that the lockdown was going to happen. I heard a rumor and I thought this is definitely going to be the case. So I just packed up two bags and I moved from my office to my conservatory. Didn't miss a beat. And we've had our best month in, I cannot tell you how long. My diary's been filled from 6.30 in the morning till eight o'clock at night. New prospects, uh, clients wanting help, getting deals over the line, the podcasts uh, and so on. And it's been the most fun I've had in years. I can't believe that I get paid to do this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's like being paid to play. So Jeff, tell me this then. When you talk to sales teams, there's this ludicrous disconnect between sales and marketing. First of all, what needs to happen for that experience for the customer to be seamless? Because they really don't care whether it's a marketing communication or a sales communication or a customer success or account management. As far as they're concerned, it's the company. What has to happen to get sales and marketing working in lockstep together towards the common purpose of serving the customer? So I think that when offers are created, and when I say offers, people get confused between offers and products because there's a very, very, here, let me break it down for the salespeople that might not know marketing and for the marketing people that don't know sales. (laughs) A product is something that you actually sell, right? The offer is how you sell it. And that's the easiest way that I could break it down. A lot of times people are very product featured. So they're, they're like, hey, here's what we're going to do for you. And here's the features of what you're going to get, whether it's a product, whether it's a service, whether it's something, right? Whether it's a deliverable, but if it's a, a, a physical product, whatever it is, people always, it's like a 1990s printer pr- sheet. Like here's the new, you know, HP 97,000, office jet and here's the you know multi-function this and the printing this and has how many sheets it can do that's product but how to sell something is very different and the, there needs to be more alignment with the with the verbiage that's used there also needs to be an alignment with what you say they're going to get and what they get i feel like a lot of times when sales go wrong and the customer experience is wrong and you want to talk about losing opportunities on repeat customers or in the marketing world, we call it lifetime value LTV, which is super important to to marketers that people keep coming back and buying more and more is that there's a really messed up expectation and there's no fluid expectations between sales and marketing. Sometimes marketing guys, and look, I'll be honest as a marketing guy, sometimes I can sell the hell out of something from a marketing perspective and make it look really shiny and sweet. And the salesperson is going to take that. They're going to run with it. And then afterwards they say, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. (laughs) So I would say that having very clear expectations and having the sales and the marketing teams come together on how they actually market and sell these products is really important. Well, again, I'm going to challenge you a little bit further as well. I don't think anyone in the history of humanity has ever bought a printer They've never bought marketing services. They've never bought training. They've never bought a car. There's always a reason behind it. And what they're buying is the hole, not the drill, to use that. Bingo, yes. And the problem is the minute you start talking about product, that's eye-centered, selfish selling. And what really fascinated me, I've got two sets of twins out there because people came to me because they wanted to pay for IVF treatment and they couldn't afford it because it's very expensive. 
So they came to me to learn how to sell so that they could buy the IVF treatment because they wanted to have children. Someone else came to me because his horse went lame and he was facing an 80 grand vet's bill to fix Jacob. Jacob today, 13 years later, is still bouncing around fields, jumping over fences. Now, it never crossed my mind. I would be an insurance policy for school fees. Yeah? Wow. And people buy for those reasons. And if you go in with a fixation on your product, you miss the real reason why people buy. So again, one of the things that really fascinates me is how little people actually speak to the customer once they've bought and find out why they bought, what surprised them, what initial reservations they had, why they continue buying. And this strikes me as an act of crazy uh, waste. So again, what do you teach your clients in terms of that ongoing conversation with customers? You know, I fail at this too. I fail at this too. Sometimes you can get so excited for the sale. And here's something that's really sad. And now this, now thankfully for me, you know, I, I have lifetime values of my clients. I've worked for, you know, I've only been doing this for six, seven years and I still have some of the same clients, right? And it's a beautiful thing. But what I will tell you is that a lot of people, as soon as they get the sale, that's it. They stop talking to the client. The, the relationship fails. And what I would say is if there was as much effort put into after the sale as there is getting the sale, well, that let, already is the huge start. Let me make a really important point for people who are listening. The research now suggests that it costs you 15, one five times more to sell to a new customer than it does to sell to an existing customer. Now, if you're selling to enterprise or a large, a large-ish account, most people, when they're thinking about landing and expanding, they're thinking about selling more of the same, something similar but different, maybe extending a project, cross-selling and upselling. But that's just a tiny fraction of the, uh, the customer's ecosystem. There's obviously the subsidiary parent sister companies. That's the obvious next step. But then there's alumni, people who used to work there and have gone to a similar company and have the same kind of pain. And the reference from your existing customer would make a great introduction. Now, those three pale into insignificance when you also look at their joint ventures their partnerships, and importantly, their supply chain. How many of your customers have suppliers upon whom they depend and they want to make sure those suppliers thrive through this downturn and are still there when we come out of it? Because if they lost those suppliers, it would create a major problem for them. Why not ask for an introduction to three to five for their most important suppliers? And what about the customer's customer? Now, this is really where I think marketing can come into its own because there's all of those opportunities within the customer ecosystem that no one is even touching. And the other thing they don't do is they don't market to the middle of the funnel. And that, I think, is a terrible mistake. One of the uh, tactics that I've started doing is when I write my copy, when I write my content, I have an individual in mind and I write to them. Once I've started the conversation, then I continue to write content specifically for them. Because in most CRM systems, you're told to fill your pipeline up, and so you prospect. And then the first question you get asked is, what's the close date? So your attention goes from filling the top of the funnel to the close date, and it misses out that really important bit. Now, when you think about it, and this is really key from your perspective, 
one in eight first meetings result in a second meeting. Now, that means seven out of eight of the leads that you generate are wasted, lost. Now, when you start to look at the cost of acquiring a lead and getting a first meeting, it's a criminal act for a salesperson not to be prepared, for marketeers not to focus on delivering the value and the messaging so those salespeople can really do their best work in front of the customer and get invited back. Because if you think about it, seven out of eight, yeah, that's 88% of marketing leads that you manage to get in front of a customer. You may as well set a light. Isn't that crazy? You know what? I'll take it even a step further if you're, if you're open to getting challenged. I haven't challenged you yet. Yeah, go ahead. I think one of the huge problems that even marketers do, but especially sales, is that they don't even understand the difference between the top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of the funnel. And, and here's another piece. Because a lot of people that I know, they think that the top of their funnel is the lead magnet. They think the top of their funnel is like a registration for a webinar. They don't understand that the top of the funnel is actually your content. That's the top of the funnel. The yeah. top of the funnel is what are people seeing every day that's not a damn pitch. Because if you, <laughs> I'm writing a book on this called The 9010 Rule, and basically it applies to everything in life damn near. I've tested it over and over and over, but I never pitch. I never try to get people to sign up for things more than 10% of my content. It's always value. I'm giving value. I'm asking questions. I'm posting funny things, right? I just posted something funny on my Facebook yesterday. I'm surprised that uh, Facebook hasn't pulled it down yet because it says how the coronavirus really started. And it shows a couple of bats. And (laughs) one of them... He uh, ends up, you know, flipping up from upside down to right side up, urinates, and then he goes back up and his, he's hanging next to another bat and the other bat goes, hey, you should totally pee in that guy's soup down there and start a pandemic. And he goes, yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it's just, it goes back to the keyword that I said earlier, relatability, right? Can people look at you and say, hey, look, you know, Marcus is just one of the friends, you know, he's just a cool guy, you know? And that's how I, I've approached my brand. It's still, you know, unbelievable. I, I, I had some incredible opportunities just recently. I spoke for at digitalmarketer.com doing a, a whole, you know, hour and a half seminar on just how to adapt to the new remote economy. And that was because their general manager happened to see a post that I made about how to adapt to the new economy. He saw my post. It was a valuable post that I made. And he said, wow, that's really great. I'd like to have you come on and actually teach this live as our insider training. Would you be interested? I said, let's do it. This is really interesting. I almost never do any real promotion. And it's not something that I've been especially good at historically. And my coach said to me once, you cannot give enough away. And what's really interesting is now, on average, for every three to five content posts I generate, I get one inbound inquiry. Now, I've got a 96% conversion rate. So that's through the qualification process. So if they qualify and they're in my space, then 96%. So content for me, they short posts on LinkedIn. They take me 12, 15 minutes a piece. So for an hour's work to get one inbound inquiry, disqualify all the non-prospects quickly because there are a few of those. But in the last week, eight new clients. And it's not been difficult because it's really about learning how to tell great stories. and. Put yourself in your customer's shoes and have them say, that's me. 
And th- that's basically the model. I mean, I, I'm not really that creative about it, but I do tend to upset a fair number of people because I challenge them and it's uncomfortable. But it is. percent of my audience actually qualifies to be my customer. You know, this is another great transition into a, a great topic, which is, remember earlier, I talked about villains. I talked about how to identify villains. And, you know, some of that is because it actually pays to be polarizing. It yep. pays to be polarizing. And if you don't believe me, you can take a look at Trump, okay? Yeah, this is a guy... This is a guy who literally everyone in the media hates. He calls out the media all the time. People laughed at him. No one said he was going to win the election. I didn't vote for his ass. <laughs> I said he would win. And I think you he- knew, huh? Here's the thing. It's, it's because whether you like him or you don't, you love him. Either you love him or you don't, but you know him, right? And that's... that's right, ca- narrative. Trump made the sale of the millennium by coming from nowhere and he sold using emotion up against Hillary, who was trying to use her version of reason and logic. No one in the history of humanity has ever made any decision logically. They buy emotionally, they justify using reason and logic. Trying to appeal to the frontal cortex of anybody's brain uh, in order to make a sale is an act of idiocy and self-sabotage. It's a pointless act, because they'll buy for their reasons. They may buy in spite of but not because of how you sell. And the reality is you differentiate in how you sell, not what you sell. In a crowded market, which most of us occupy, and there are thousands of sales trainers, why is it I stand out? The the challenge here is that you have to be somebody who is an observer, a student of human behavior. That's what sales and marketing and economics. And the problem is, most people are lazy when it comes to that. They're order takers at best. You have hit the nail on the head, man. This is so good. I'm so glad that you said it because this is, this is what I, and this, this is going to be hard for people to hear. If you're listening in my Savage Marketers group right now, or are you listening on, on Marcus's show? Let me tell you something right now. Most people are lazy. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's just the truth. And I know it sounds really ridiculous sometimes to say the reason why you're not successful is because of, and then put a bunch of different things out here. But what I will tell you is that there is a lot of validity and truth to the work ethic that you have, because it doesn't matter what industry that you're in. If you know, here's what I call it, right? If you, if you know what you need to do and don't do it, what do you call that? Right? That's right. That, yes. compl- exactly. Complacency. Because you're like, you know what? Everything's going good. Everything's cool. And then sadly, what happens is now we're at COVID-19 crisis, right? We're here in America. And I don't know exactly if you guys, if you had a relief bill, sort of like ours, but I'll tell you, I know everything America does, everyone else yeah, is they, thinking. They ran out of money. They ran and, out of money in about a couple of days. That's it. And what happens is you think people are going to the store and buying food with that money? You think they're paying their mortgages with that money? Hell no. They're going down to the store and they're going to buy that couch that they've been putting off for a while because they're not good at saving money and they've never even had $1,200 in their bank account before. This then brings me to another really important point. We should be wrapping up in a moment. More often than not, people sacrifice the better future for the convenience of now. And what they don't do is they don't put in the heavy lifting. You don't pop out your mother's womb able to sell. 
You have to learn it. It's an acquired skill. Marketing is an acquired skill. But the problem is people say, I've got 20 years experience. What they really mean is I've got one year's experience 20 times over. Ouch. They, they do not invest in the heavy lifting, the thinking time. They're not investing in their mind. They're one greatest asset and they don't invest in it. I'm very pejorative about a lot of salespeople because I think most of them are functionally illiterate. They leave school and the best you can get is they read the tabloid papers and they don't invest in their mind. I'm getting through two to three books a week and I have been for the last 23 years. It's really important that you feed your mind, listen to fantastic podcasts, ask help for help from people. So on that note, Jeff, what's influencing you? What are you reading, listening to, watching? Well, I have made 2020 the year of my weaknesses, and I've been really developing out a strategy on taking advantage of things that I know that I've been complacent in. I think that was a good topic word that we had. Actually, I just got done interviewing earlier this year, this guy, and here's a book that's, that's uh, really influencing right, right now. It's called YouTube Secrets by Sean Cannell. Yeah. And uh, this guy, he's, he's the, this is still the number one book right now for YouTube marketing. I know that I have been really bad at YouTube. And literally, it's been a place where I host my unlisted podcast videos for my team. And it's basically where I put all my unlisted training videos for my clients. And that's all my YouTube is. So I'm going to be making a pledge to step up my YouTube experience and also repurpose my content like podcast content and stuff to do YouTube because I know that the video is a growing platform that I'm not tapped into enough. Very interesting. I, I agree. I mean, YouTube's been a place where I've actually put over 400 sales videos on there. Wow. But I haven't mastered how to get people to go visit it. I mean, people love it when they get there. But I, I'm a bit like the people that we've been dissing, saying I'm great when I'm in front of people. Okay, so tell me this then. If you had a golden ticket and you could go back and you could advise the idiot 23-year-old Jeff um, who thought he was invincible and knew everything, what one bit of a choice advice would you give him for the lifetime of self-sabotage and idiocy? So many things. <laughs> but one of the things that I would probably tell my younger self, if I, if I don't even think my younger self would be willing to listen, but if I went Terminator status back in time and appeared in a bubble and was only able to say like 30 seconds to my past self, I would probably tell myself to be more intentional with who I surround myself with. What I will tell you is that my success has catapulted in the past three years. And the biggest reason for that is I've decided to hang around people that have already achieved success that I want to achieve myself. And instead of getting advice from my friends and my network who don't know crap about what I'm going through and what I'm trying to build, is that I started aligning myself with people that have already been there. Like my good friend, Alex Kushner, who is Jay Shetty's business partner and has done most of the video scripting before Jay Shetty, you know, even, I mean, Jay Shetty was already blown up, but they started their own agency called Icon Media. We're really good friends. We were playing basketball in Utah on the court not too long ago, a couple months ago. 
like my good friend Tony Grebmeyer, who owns Ship Offers, and he owns he's doing a huge e-com distribution, eight, you know, eight-figure business. And 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 what I love about Tony is that even though he's super successful, he's got all these different things going on, the guy still randomly calls me and asks me how I'm doing. And you know, we we have a fun talk about stuff because it turns out he went to a junior college near where I live. So he knows the landscape and he has his favorite taqueria that's about 20 minutes from my house, right? So these are people that have influenced me into what I'm doing right now. And in the beginning, I was not selective and I've, I've definitely wasted a lot of my time connecting and surrounding myself around the wrong people that gave me wrong advice. So what I would say is that I, I switched from taking advice from people to developing a strong network of counsel. Excellent. That's brilliant advice. So final question then, what, what are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? Wow. You know, for me, because I, I have 70 people on my team right now, it's very similar to what we were talking about in the beginning of this episode, which is basically you have people carrying the weight. I think for me, developing my team is the most important aspect. I think that that's something that's, that's obviously a, an ongoing battle and struggle. And uh, it's really tough because the way that I grow my team is I'm a bit of a nepotist. So my team grows from family members of my team and church mates. You know, they go to church together and friends and you know employees from past companies. And I think that I have the opposite problem of most people I know, which is, you know, I have just so much business and I have to be very tight on who I bring in because I have to be able to fulfill my promises when I sell. Right. So I think my biggest thing is I'm always looking for talented people. I'm always looking for copywriters. I'm looking for marketers. I'm looking for people that do funnels, people that, that have good long track records. And here's the other thing. I'm tired of freelancers. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm so sick and tired of freelancers because once the project's over, you can never find them. So I'm always just looking for really talented people. That's my number one problem. How much of your time are you proactively on a daily basis spent uh, spending in prospecting for hires? That's my problem. I have not. And uh, that's exactly the issue. So right now, I've actually just made an initiative the past 30 days. We have four people being trained today. The first time I've hired a batch of people in a long time, because what I realized too is that I had a really bad training and onboarding process. So we've been working really hard to do that. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of Miles. I'm going to just call her out right now. If you're listening to this, Miles, thank you so much because she's been working really hard. She worked the whole weekend. She probably put in 20 hours of overtime this weekend to prepare for the new training session that started today. So I want to give her a shout out. She's incredible, but that's a huge problem. A couple of tips then. The first thing is Mike Michalowicz came up with a lovely, the 4D quadrants. So doing delegating, deciding, and designing. And the curse of most entrepreneurs is they spend 80% plus of their time in the doing side. And if you've hired the best people, then trust them and delegate. And also push decisions down the chain of command so you can spend 80% of your time in the design phase, which as the leader of the business, that's where you need to be. Second thing, use your calendar as your most powerful weapon. Time block specific time for personal, first of all, then all your admin, so 10 to 15 minutes a day, admin, get it out of the way so you don't have it at the end of the quarter and you spend three days swearing at Excel. 
Then put in study, really important to put in an hour a day of personal development. And then you put in your final meetings, second meeting, first meeting, prospecting time, internal meetings, fulfillment, and time block, all of that. But in your case, make sure that you have prospecting time specifically for filling the pipeline. A players in sales, just for sales, come along one in 200. That's half a percent. Okay. B players might be between six and 12 in 200. So between three and 6% of them are good B players. If you're going to actually fill your business with quality people, you need to be out there prospecting every day without excuse or fail. And if you use the calendar and are ruthless and religious about making sure you stick to that, then you'll find that very quickly you start building a bench of candidates. Now, if you have a bench of candidates, then you have the advantage of only taking one month to fill a vacancy instead of 12 or 16 weeks. Now, that ramp-up period, they're making you money for three months, four months extra. That's really key. Wow. That has been so valuable, Marcus. Thank you so much because I definitely need to do a better job myself at time blocking. And I do have a habit of letting people take time from me that I probably shouldn't. And I know that's super important. Hi, buddy. (laughs) My 15-month-old just came and put his mouth up against my glass office door. (laughs) How can people get a hold of you, Jeff? JeffJHunter.com is my website. Uh, My business vastaffer.com. And I'm, I'm actually Google verified now. So if you, if you go to Google and type in Jeff, the letter J and then Hunter, it'll have all of my little links on the sidebar. And uh, it says I'm a motivational speaker. I don't think I'm very motivational, but um, motivational speakers don't exist. (laughs) Exactly. Shouldn't we all be motivational? (laughs) Motivation comes from within. You can inspire, bully, brutalize, lie, cajole. Uh, but you cannot motivate anybody to do anything ever. In fact, I'll send you a link to my article that motivational speakers are a con that got a lot of responses and a lot of them, they weren't very happy about it. But anyway, finally, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on today. So this is Marcus Cappy signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. Say bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. If you'd like to come onto the podcast, then by all means, get in touch. You do have to go through an audition. And if there's somebody that you think would be really interesting, then please send me their details. Connect the two of us on LinkedIn and make the introduction. And I'll do my damnedest to get them on if they're really interesting. That's Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. Happy selling. Bye-bye.